subject of deep suspicion, and the concealment of such a person could easily result in a family's ruin. Casca seated himself on a low wooden stool, the only furniture in the store other than a crude wooden counter surrounded by a number of partially empty sacks. His reluctant hostess and her father argued, the woman screeching shrilly in the local dialect, the man answering her in Cantonese for Casca's benefit. It quickly became clear that all of the woman's protestations were being met by the old man's obstinate reference to his daughter's poverty, the worthlessness of her husband, the golden opportunity that Tai Tsuye, the benevolent spirit of the mountains, had provided in the shape of this barbarian, who had paid so generously for his ride from Tsung Kao, and who would pay her even more generously for just a few nights' accommodation and a few small meals. And, the old man repeatedly stressed, her silence. Casca also heard repeated reference to the Hakka Code of Hospitality, and the merit to be acquired in the eyes of the gods through taking care of strangers in their need. In considerable relief, Casca realized that the old man was winning the argument, and eventually the woman turned to him. To his surprise, now that she had accepted the situation, she spoke civilly even pleasantly, and in Cantonese. Welcome to our insignificant abode, honorable barbarian. The chief of this humble family is absent at present. He is about his urgent, breadwinning activities. But I shall send for him, and he will make you decently welcome. She reverted to the high-pitched dialect shriek, shouting toward the rear of the store, where Casca could see two small heads almost hidden behind a sack curtain. In response, two small children came scurrying and ran across the store and into the street. The woman moved to the back of the store and busied herself by the small fire with a kettle and a teapot, which she quickly brought to the two men, together with cups and a small plate of rice cakes. Je le will be here presently, the old man said just as soon as his long-suffering children can drag him away from his disgraceful debauchery. He lapsed into silence and sipped at his tea. From where he sat, Casca could see a slice of the village street through the open doorway. The street curved and twisted its way through the town, as did all Chinese streets, no matter what the terrain. Evil spirits like to travel in straight lines. All the buildings seemed to be made of bricks made from mud and straw. Barefoot people came and went, their noses running in the bitter mountain cold. Most were carrying heavy loads on the wooden yokes or on their heads, or were pulling the clumsy two-wheeled carts like the one on which he had arrived from Tsung Kao. On the far side of a small village square he could see a porticoed temple, with more beggars sitting on its lowest steps, while sleek, plump Buddhist priests in saffron robes ambled about its broad stone plaza. Where the crumbling street twisted beyond the temple, he glimpsed an old peasant plodding behind a plow pulled by a water buffalo, and another whose plow was pulled by a woman. Along the street there passed an occasional loaded ass or horse or an ox cart, and once, 
Casca caught a glimpse of a two-humped camel. Casca sipped at his tea and reflected on his long journey from the British compound in Hong Kong that had caused him to be here in the first place. An overnight coastal steamer had carried him in comparative luxury north to Swatow. Then a long, dirty train ride had taken him to Chow Chow on the Han River. From there, he had ridden for two days on a riverboat, almost enjoying the silent motion of the single-masted sampan as they made their way through the dense river traffic of other sampans, rafts, canoes, and the occasional high-pooped junk. Casca liked to watch the husband and wife crew rowing with their rhythmic, dance-like steps, outer legs moving back and forth in a sort of stationary ballet, the oars whipping the water like the fins of some great fish.